My, it's so good for us to be here. We could dismiss right now, and it would have been good for us to have been here. Thank you so much for this beautiful prayer and for these precious songs. Thank you, Aaron, for leading us in a good way that you've done all day today. And uh, it's just a, a joy to, to be with this church here at Midway today. We had such a wonderful meal. You ladies just outdid yourself. That was just so very, very good, and plenty of it. I told David <clears throat> that he is a bad advertisement for the cooks of this church. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you right now, uh, I wish I was more like him where I could eat. You know, I, I, can, I can gain five pounds in one week. I've done it lots of times. And uh, so he could just eat and he stays the same. And uh, he may have a tapeworm or something. I don't know. There's something. There's just got to be an explanation for that. <laughs> but uh, he, he's just such a wonderful guy. Sweet mother-in-law is with him today and precious daughter. Every time I come through Bridgeport, I think of that sweet couple Mom and Dad, I knew that they were kind of from there and, and rained from that area. And every time I come through that area, my mind just kind of automatically kind of goes toward them. So what sweet memories. So thankful for your presence. Some of you are visiting with us. So good to see the Prestons. Uh, see them very often, but I, I've seen Nikki two times in the last four days. So uh, might not see him again for a long time, but it's good to see him. So good to see the folks from Hatton here today. So good to see Benjamin, uh, sweet wife, and uh, Hatton. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Some folks already this morning. I mean, just for no reason, bragging on Benjamin and uh, his sweet family. And uh, church at Hatton is like the church here. It's a good church, and so thankful uh, that they're making such a wonderful example for our brotherhood. Now, when you eat normally, some of you take a nap about this time. And, and I, I'm not going to throw a book at you if you do. I'm kind of like the preacher, and I know it's tempting to look outside because it's snowing now. But a uh, uh, preacher said one time he didn't get on to people for going to sleep in his sermons because he actually had fallen asleep before putting one together. <laughs> So uh, I said one time that he, he didn't mind if somebody went to sleep as long as they didn't snore. But if you snore real loud, we might have to wake you up. One fellow went to the doctor one time, and he said, uh, I just got to do something about this snoring. So uh, said, uh, a doctor looked at him, and he said, well, is it keeping your wife awake at night? He said, there's some things that we can probably do to maybe stop the snoring. He said, it's keeping the whole church. Uh, I'm disturbing the whole church. And he said, my wife says something's got to be done about it. So, uh, so if you fall asleep, uh, I'm not going to fault you for that. But it's just been a joy to be with you. I said in the beginning this morning, I wanted to kind of think about three words. First word was appreciation. Appreciation for the Bible. As we looked at the lesson, it is written. Second word is the word realization as we thought about our own lives 
and our purpose and our sojourn in this world. And then for this lesson, I want you to think about the word examination as we talk about marks of maturity. Have you ever heard a child say, when I get big, when I grow up, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that in my grandkids now. And uh, when I get big, when I grow up, I had my oldest little boy and a grandson in a shooting house back here a while back. He's been involved in so many things at Morris Hill that he ain't getting to go hunt very much. But uh, he, he was talking to me about when he, when he got big, when he, when he growed up, what he, what he was going to do. And, and, uh, but, you know, do you ever hear anybody say that spiritually? I grow up. Are we trying to grow up spiritually? God wants us to grow. First Peter 2, 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The last words of that second letter, 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, to grow up unto Christ. So we've all got some growing to do, I know. And think about how that the Bible calls on us to be fruitful. In John 15, you find three levels, it seems, in those verses that the Lord wants us to bear fruit. And then he talks about two times more fruit. And then he says in verse 8, much fruit. So the Lord wants us to be fruitful. And then think about maturity. The Lord, to the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 21, he said to him, if thou wilt be perfect. Now, he wasn't talking about being sinless. But he said, if thou wilt be perfect, then sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. He wanted that man to grow up. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, the Bible says, in malice be children, in understanding be men, be full grown, be mature. That verse that you've heard all your life, 2 Timothy 3, 16 beginning, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete or that he might be mature. So it is a goal that we should have. And God does not expect of us beyond our abilities. You think about statements, and we mentioned some of those this morning, of how that he is fair and he is just with us. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham said, Shall not the God of all the earth do right? Romans 3, 26 refers to God as being just. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 refers to God as being just and right. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 8, the Lord, the righteous judge. And in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, the Lord didn't expect of the one talent what he expected of the two and the five. He didn't expect of the two what he expected of the five because the Lord is fair. And so the Lord does not expect beyond your ability. It should be so easy for us to give him our best, though. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, the love of Christ constrains us. It hems us in. He died for us 
We ought to live for him. I mean, as our brothers have said in the prayer today, you just think about how that we ought to give him from the bottom of our heart the best that we can give and be. You know, a tragedy for a small child to die. I lost a little sister when I was four years old. She was born with spina bifida, and she didn't live on this earth very long. A lot of times spina bifida kids now, uh, the Cleghorns uh, have a precious little uh, cousin, I guess, what would be, nephews, uh, but he is precious, and he has spina bifida, and his dad preaches down at Millport, Alabama. And uh, But my sister died of spina bifida, and I, she never did get to grow up. I, I wondered what it would have been like. Her name was Priscilla Carrine, after my mother's name, Carrine. And I've often wondered, you know, what would it have been like? And what would, you know, if she'd had kids, grandkids, just like all my other brothers and my sister in Colorado, we've all got, we've all got children. And, uh, you know, she missed out on that. And I think about my wife and I lost a baby. Uh, a miscarriage, but to us it's a baby that we look forward to seeing again someday. And, uh, you know, we think, well, you know, just what would it have been like if, if he or she had been in our family through the years and now having children that could have had more than 10 grandkids. And um, all the time on the news, like Birmingham, and not just Birmingham, but big cities and sometimes rural areas, you see little children that are taken maybe in crossfire guns and sometimes people on purpose take the lives of little children. And I know that David said in 2 Samuel 12, 23, I can't bring them back, but I can go to them. And I know in that sense they're, they're not uh, lost out in this world. But we, we still think about the experiences in life that they would have enjoyed and did not get to. But there is a tragedy of a person growing up physically and remaining an infant mentally. I have a little grandson who has autism, and it's pretty seems to be pretty extreme autism. And uh, I would give everything I have if Cade could be like my other nine grandchildren. And I, and I think about something far worse though, and that is for someone to grow up physically and mentally and maybe even become prominent socially and then remain an infant spiritually. And it happens all too often. The New Testament has much to say about infancy and maturity spiritually. And I really believe it was one of Paul's greatest fears that there were Christians that might remain infants when they should have and could have matured. His letters are filled with exhortations to prevent that very thing from happening. What is Christian maturity? I want to read an article. It's in a church bulletin and the author is unknown. What is maturity? <clears throat> maturity is the ability to control anger and settle differences without violence or destruction. Maturity is patience. It's the willingness to pass up immediate pleasure in favor of the long-term gain. Maturity is perseverance, 
the ability to sweat out a project or a situation in spite of heavy opposition and discouraging setbacks. Maturity is the, the capacity to face unpleasantness and frustration, discomfort, and even defeat without complaint or collapse. Maturity is humility. It's being big enough to say, I was wrong. And when right, the mature person need not experience the satisfaction of saying, I told you so. Maturity is the ability to make a decision and stand by it. The immature spend their lives exploring endless possibilities, then they do nothing. Maturity means dependability, keeping one's word, coming through in a crisis. The immature are masters of the alibi. They're confused and disorganized. Their lives are mazes of broken promises, former friends, unfinished business, and good intentions that somehow never materialize. Maturity is the art of living in peace with that which we cannot change, the courage to change that which should be changed, and the wisdom. But I want us now to look at maturity uh, in the New Testament. Would you consider yourself a mature person? The word perfect was often used in Scripture and it does not mean sinlessness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul makes a reference to some there and refers to them as perfect. They were not sinless. Maturity and adulthood as composed to immaturity and childhood. Maturity of character and an advanced stage of Christian attainment. The New Testament reveals the characteristics of the perfect or the mature Christian. And I want to notice six of them with you, and I want you to open your Bibles, and we will look at six different passages that use the word perfect, or a word that from the Greek word means the same as mature, or grown up. What a precious, precious goal it is for us to grow up. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, he said, We preach Christ, warning every man and trying to present every man perfect in Christ. And then at the end of that letter in Colossians chapter 4, he mentioned Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras is praying for you and laboring fervently that you might be perfect, grown up. So let's notice, and I invite your attention first of all to the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews, part of which was read this morning in our Bible reading. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And you are become as such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age or mature. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. 
So our first point this morning, or this afternoon, in the marks of maturity is that the mature Christian is able to eat the solid food of the Word of God. Now, we have, again, as I said this morning, several babies here. You know, we didn't feed them uh, fried chicken a while ago. You know, they can't handle fried chicken yet. Uh, but we, you're feeding them milk. And uh, some of them are maybe at the point of, of real soft foods. Uh, but sometimes Christians, they stay down there in the milk. And they don't get up to the level of being able to eat solid food of the Word of God. To those Corinthians, no doubt many of them fell into the category in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to read uh, the first three verses. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with meat. There was a time that's okay. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, but the sad thing about it is, Paul said, you're still not able to. You're yet carnal. You should have grown up. You should have matured. The mature person is able to eat the solid food of the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20 again, understanding, in understanding, be men. To advance beyond the fundamentals. Let's not stay in the infant state. We cannot afford to stay in the infant state. In 1 Peter 2, verse 2, we, we're to grow. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 13, uh, we will make a reference to that in just a moment, but let me read Ephesians 4 and, and verse number 13. He says, since he had talked about miracles and other things, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Don't ever forsake the fundamentals. And I'm telling you, and uh, Nikki and, and uh, Ben and David, uh, they still preach the fundamentals, but grow to a point of going deeper into the treasures of God's Word. We all recognize kind of what Brother Gus Nichols said one time. He said the Bible is like an ocean, and you're going down there with a spoon. Can you imagine sitting down on the beach with a spoon trying to dip the ocean dry? He said that's the way it is with the Bible. You know, it's just so much there. And we'll never get it all. But we got to keep dipping. Brother Basil Overton, and oh, how we miss that great giant of a man and in God's kingdom. Brother Overton, one time when it was still IBC at graduation, uh, some boy had got his diploma and, and uh, he looked over at Brother Overton and he said, well, I just finished my degree. Just finished my education. And Brother Overton said, I just started mine. And there he had, he'd taught for 50 or 60 years, and he said, I've just started mine. Well, he wasn't trying to ridicule the boy, but he drove home a lesson that you continue to grow and you continue to study. Acts 10, verse 34 and 35, Peter said, Now I perceive, now I got it. And that's priceless, isn't it? When you studied something, and Paul said, uh, said of Paul by Peter in 2 Peter 3.16, there are some things he wrote that were hard to understand. 
boy, when you dig in it and you dig in it and you finally get it, oh, it's just precious. I'll never forget Brother William Woodson saying, it's, it's just better than $10,000. There are a lot of things that God wants to say to us that he cannot say until we mature because we can't grasp them in his word until we mature. Maybe it's the book of Romans. Maybe it's the book of Hebrews. Maybe it's some things in the book of Revelation. How many times from Matthew 9 to Matthew 22 did the Lord say, have you not read? Go and learn. Have you never read? May God help us to be students of the word of God. Even going beyond the fundamentals to deeper into God's word. Number two, a mature Christian is able to discern between good and evil. Look in chapter 5, verse 14 again of the book of Hebrews. He says, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He said that person that's a full age, mature, he is able to discern between good and evil. His faculties are trained by practice to distinguish right and wrong. In Philippians 1, Paul prayed that they might be able to approve things. You remember in the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians, verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul said, prove all things. The mature person through increased knowledge and wisdom that comes through study and also comes through prayer, James 1, verse 5, can recognize truth when he hears it. And he can detect error when he hears that too. I'll never forget what was said of a lady at Double Springs one time and it was said of her, she knew when preaching was off key. She knew when preaching was off key. And I'm telling him, there's some preaching sometimes that's off key. We had a guy that come to Double Springs one time and, and um, he had preached a meeting 25 years before at Double Springs, well before I was there. And you know, folks can change in 25 years. But he was invited back to Double Springs. And on Sunday night, he preached for 45 minutes on worship. And he talked about the worship experience, and it went and it went. And I just couldn't imagine that you could preach 45 minutes on worship and never one time allude to John 4, 24, when Jesus said, God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'll tell you, I thought when I made the closing remarks that night, I was going to quote John 4, 24 if I got shot. And I did. Because I felt like he had never even touched so many things about worship that were taught in that one little verse. And I'll never forget when the night was over. It was on a Sunday night, and our meeting went through Friday night. And I'll never forget what one of our elders, who's been dead now 21 years, he said. Vance, I wish it was Friday night already. And you know what I mean. Mature people are able to discern between good and evil. They recognize sin, even though it might not appear as sin. It might appear as something good. Mature people, they know those works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. They know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11 about what cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
because they sin. And they're able to think about those things that as Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 21 that would be condemned in principle and such like. There are things that are just so bad that you just don't do them. They might not be talked about in Scripture, might not have even hardly existed back in those days, uh, but you're able to know that a child of God just don't participate in that. So the mature person is able to discern between good and evil. Number three, the mature person is unshaken by false doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read to you from verse 13 and 14. He says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the Christ or the head, even Christ. You think about being men of conviction. Matthew 7, verse 15, beware false prophets. 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. For many false prophets are gone out into the world. 2 John, verse 9 and 10, Whosoever transgresseth, abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. Acts 20, verse 27, Paul said, I'm not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word. Contend earnestly for the faith, Jude verse 3. Paul warned those elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 to 31 after his departure that they were going to have a problem with it. But people that are mature are unshaken by false teachers. They accept only that which is proven to be true. And as we noticed in the lesson this morning, what is that standard by which we monitor the things that we are taught? What is that standard by which is the proof of what we teach? It is written. It is written. When I think of conviction, I think of four men in the book of Daniel. You think about these four men. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You think about them, they would not eat and drink at the king's table. Chapter 1 and verse 8. They wouldn't do it. Not only that, they would not bow to the king's image in chapter 3. They would not preach the king's message in chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 5. And they would not pray the king's prayer in chapter 6 because they were men of conviction. And may God help us to be like that. Another mark of maturity is the ability to control the tongue. In James chapter 3, I invite your attention to James chapter 3 and verse number 2. In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And again, we're not talking about a sinless man. We're talking about a mature man. If he controls his tongue, he is able to bridle, he says, the whole body. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, Take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. 
I'll keep my mouth with a bridle. Jill has some mules. I assume she's probably got a bridle for each one of them. I saw my daddy do something. I'd have a hard time doing that now. My daddy was trying to make a living. Put food on the table for six kids and his wife. I remember one time seeing my daddy take a piece of wire, put it around the bits before he put that in that horse's mouth. Now you jerk very hard on that and you know what's going to happen. But it was controlling the animal. And the psalmist said, I'll keep my mouth with a bridle. Psalm 141, verse 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. The man that can control his tongue is not a babe. He is mature. There's a lot James said in the book of James about the tongue. James 1, verse 19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Chapter 1, verse 26, he talked about bridling the tongue. In chapter 3, he talked about, you know, you don't, you don't get blessing and cursing coming out of the same lips. don't happen. Just like a tree doesn't produce good fruit and bad fruit. Chapter 5, verse 12, he's going to say, let your yea be yea and your nay nay. Swear not at all. My Lord said in Matthew 12, by our words we'll be justified or condemned. Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The wrong kind of speech is proof that the person from whose tongue it comes is immature and unholy. My Lord in Luke 4 verse 22, the Bible says they marveled at the gracious words that came from his lips. Paul in Colossians 4 verse 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Didn't Solomon say in Proverbs 18, 21 that the power of life and death is in the tongue? The mature Christian controls his tongue. But not only these traits about maturity, but think about how that the mature Christian overcomes evil with good. Passages of Scripture is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and I began reading in verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other. If any man will sue you at the law and take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thy way. Ye have heard that it had been said that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. If you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not the publicans the same? If you just salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so, but listen to verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect. Be mature. 
even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently? He said, There's no glory to that. But if when you do well and suffer for it, take it patiently. Oh, that's like the Lord, isn't it? That's maturity. Romans chapter 12, you think about the childishness to harbor grudges, to hate people, to take vengeance for things done against us. The mature person overcomes evil with good. They go further. They practice the golden rule, Matthew 7 verse 12. They develop attitudes like God. Philippians chapter 2, Paul would say, look not every man on his own thing, but on the things of others. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but let each esteem the other better than himself. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ. He said, that's the kind of mind that Christ had. And this is the mind that we must strive to have as well. But then last of all, the mature person has a consciousness of his imperfections. Paul talked about that in Philippians chapter 3, a passage that you know very well, but I want to read about three verses. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting things which are behind and reaching forth into the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. A mark of maturity has a consciousness, a realization of a continual need grow a dissatisfaction with where you are a desire to change forming a picture of what you want to be we're not there yet there's improvement for yet to strive we can do better we can be better we must have the desire to know more Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open fashions in a glass or a mirror, we behold the glory of the Lord and are changed into that same image from glory to glory. Two times in Romans 6, Paul talked about unto holiness. It's a direction that we're going and the mature person realizes he's not there yet. There's still more mountain to climb. A sense of unworthiness. Like the man in Luke 18, <clears throat> in verse 13, who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Like Jacob in Genesis 30, 32, verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the kindnesses that's been shown toward me. In Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul made one of the most powerful statements you could ever read 
unto me who am less than the least of all saints. What in the world? Paul saw himself as less. Who, who do you think of when you might think of the least of the saints? Who would that person be? Paul thought of that person. He said, I'm less. Now, that is a consciousness of imperfections. Not allowing past mistakes to haunt us. You can't do that. Set your eyes on the goal. Determine one day you're going to win the prize by God's grace. What a worthy goal for us to mature. Those little verses that's found in the first and the last chapters of the book of Colossians, I want to read again. Chapter 1, verse 28. We preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. In chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Again, the word perfect does not mean sinless. There will be no hope for us at all if that were the case. But it means mature, complete, grown up. Think about these six things. Able to eat the solid food of the word of God. Able to discern good and evil. Unshaken by false teachers. Able to control the tongue. Overcoming evil with good and realizing our imperfections and our room for improvement. Thank you so much for listening so patiently. There might be a precious soul here this afternoon, like the three this morning, that see in their life a need for your prayers of their brethren, a need to redirect their life, to change some things about their life as a child of God. And you might be here today, one who never named the name of Christ, not having put Christ on in baptism. If that's the case and you realize that your condition, you need to come to him and to be in his family and to be a part of his church, then the invitation is extended to you as well as together we stand and as we sing.